You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. We hadn't expected such a rip-roaring success of an event. Um, we expected 40, 50, 45 people, but it's obviously been oversubscribed and we've even had to have a waiting list for the event. Um, we had obviously um, underestimated uh, the interest there would be in, in such an event. Um, we really were, because when we first looked at the, the, the venue as well, we thought, yes, between 40 and 50 people will be great. Um, and then, obviously, not the case. But that's a kind of, it's a good thing uh, that, you know, the place looks crowded. Uh, I do apologize for those of you who have to sit um, on the sides, but that's not an indication of your status at all. Um, <laughs> it's simply a question of size and, and space. Uh, but, you know, there'll be, there'll be movement anyway, because some people are going to be leaving after the morning session and then others joining us in the afternoon. But we should make for a good discussion. I also want to uh, ensure you that those of you who are not sitting at the table, there is a, uh, a roving mic, so you will be able to uh, contribute to the discussion. Just make sure you catch my eye or just raise your hand or an arm so that I can see you and I'll bring you in. Um, so without further ado, firstly, a warm welcome to all of you to this uh, first housing platform um, uh, event. Um, this is not intended to be your classic conference. I was just saying this to the speakers and discussants that we've invited along this morning. Is that what we're trying to do here, uh, and this, is, you know, this has been a long journey, actually, as, as um, Fiesta, uh, S uh, Housing Europe, um, Council of European Bank, and others will attest to, and, and Fondation Abbe Pierre will attest that we've been, uh, it's been a, an idea, we feel, whose time has come. We've been working on this for over 12 months or so. We had an inaugural meeting, which some of you are at, and since then we've published a number of articles and also f a fact sheet on good practice, and we've created a network of sorts around housing practitioners and experts. And I suppose always we had in our mind and imagination was that actually what, what's missing in the marketplace is a platform that's actually problem-solving rather than representing the interests of stakeholders or communities. This is about looking at an issue through the lens of experts and to come up with solutions and recommendations for a whole set of, sta a whole set of stakeholders uh, in terms of policy-making or practice development. So we have collected you all together, and we're really pleased you're able to be here um, to uh, look at innovative financial, you know, housing solutions for, for finance. Uh, and that's our first big uh, platform piece where we wanted to really look at issues around uh, finance, both in terms of supply and demand. I'm not going to say a lot more at this stage, because I, I have the, the privilege of moderating the session, so I can come in at other stages. But I, we have a, a full agenda, and we have a number of speakers. But in the initial part of this, uh, this session, so we've got a number of introductory contributions from key partners that have been involved here. We then have, as you can see from the agenda, we have Ken Gibb, who's going to give us a bit of an overview to frame, frame the discussion on um, housing, social inclusion, and economic mobility. And then we've got a series of people that we've actually tipped to bring in, as you can see on the agenda, to have a conversation with us. But before that, um, we're going to have um, um, Marco um, coming in to give us a bit of a Kickstarter conversation to actually frame again the specific conversation uh, on this first half. And the second half moves into looking at actual financial solutions and different models of, of financing. Whereas this is about practice development, this is about how our city is dealing with the issue and a number of examples from across Europe to think about how do you use housing effectively as a place shaper and a place builder and for economic development and viability into the future. So on that, I'd first like to invite Rosa 
um, to say a few words, please. Uh, by the way, we're, you know, you're, you're with the CEB and you're the vice governor there uh, with a responsibility for this type of area. Over to you. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, good morning. Uh, I am really very pleased to, to be here and to sh share with you some uh, ideas and to, to present very briefly uh, the role of the bank in uh, providing affordable uh, houses for, for the population, for our societies. Uh, well, I think that the oversubscription, as you mentioned, of this event shows the, the interest of this uh, crucial issue for the sustainable development of our, of our countries, of our societies. Uh, the CEB is a, is a social bank, it's the development bank of the Council of Europe. Over 60 years of existence, we have developed a huge expertise, a huge experience in the field of social housing. Um, it represents approximately 20% of our portfolio, which means around 11 billion euros devoted to these type of projects. As a financial institution, we provi provide financing to governments to no, uh, to the sovereign, I mean to the central governments, to regional authorities and also to local, uh, local governments to uh, well, help them uh, to develop this, uh, this uh, affordable housing for their population. But um, we are not only a financial institution, um, we provide uh, a whole range of services uh, to, our to the beneficiaries, to our clients. We have a uh, broad scope when we approach the issue of social housing, which we believe, as we all hear, that is a crucial uh, policy to increase the, the living standards of our population and also social integration. So this broad scope means that we uh, accompany our clients in the design and in the implementation of the projects. We give technical assistance, we provide technical assistance, and we help them to shape in the best way according to their needs the, uh, the best program to ensure the sustainability of uh, the, uh, the social housing. This means that together with the, uh, the, the housing policies, we help them to, to develop other uh, social policies in the field of education, health, transport. We have to ensure that the design of the project ensures the mobility of the most vulnerable population, and also the access to work and also health and, as I said, uh, educational services. Otherwise, the project, the sustainability of the, of the project could be at risk. So the design of this type of projects have become more complex uh, over the years. Obviously, um, additionally to or on top of the traditional beneficiaries of this type of programs, which are the most vulnerable people of our societies, the unemployed, uh, there are a new type of beneficiaries due to the increased uh, influx of migrants, the problematic of the refugees, and displaced persons. So we have to take into account all these diverse, diversified group of people who have different needs and uh, to uh, put them together when we design uh, a program. We have developed uh, a long-standing uh, expertise and experience uh, with providing social housing for migrants and refugees. We think that uh, uh, social housing is a key policy to ensure um, inclusive uh, cities, sustainable cities, uh, urban development and migration are uh, very closely interlinked. So as I said, uh, what we think is that we need to have this broad scope because it's not only to 
provide financing to develop social housing, but also to take into account other elements that our society needs and uh, due to the fact that we have uh, this increasing uh, problematic to integrate refugees uh, and the, displ the displaced persons uh, in the countries that are more affected. And social housing, uh, it's more specifically related to local governments. There are cities, halls, and uh, municipalities that are the ones that are facing the increased pressure on their social infrastructure due to these migration uh, flows. So uh, at the end of the day, it's also true that these local governments uh, have uh, not the capacity at institutional level to develop this program. So to accompany the financing that we provide to our beneficiary with this broad scope of helping them to design the best project according to their needs is essential to the success of the project. We uh, provide financing for ownership and the, in the rental market. We have a lot of experience, for example, in some Balkan countries to provide financing to the government so that they can lower the interest rate for the beneficiaries of uh, uh, low and middle income um, uh, people that want to have a house, that want to own a house, so they can afford to pay the mortgage. But this is only an example. As I said, we provide tailor-made solutions depending on the beneficiary needs and this broad scope we think is essential to, uh, for the success of the, of the program. I will leave it here because uh, I was uh, told that I, I should be short. <laughs> Thank you very uh, much. But I cannot miss the opportunity to, uh, uh, to inform you that we have uh, uh, left uh, some brochures of the, the Council of Euro Development Bank with our experience in social housing, while some brochures on, wh on what we are, what we do, uh, what is the relationship with our 41 member states. We have a broad range of countries where, where we operate. So you can you know, just uh, have a look. Uh, we are in Paris. Uh, there is a, um, a quite a, a important representation from the staff of the bank, uh, from different departments, evaluation, the technical department. Madame Place is the director. Uh, so they will share with you all our experience, and we will be more than happy to take in uh, what's uh, the conclusions of this uh, roundtable uh, in our programs. I think uh, we can also provide you with very important and interesting experience for you, and uh, I think uh, to exchange these views is increasingly more important due to the uh, complexity, increased complexity of, this pro uh, of these programs in our countries. So thank you very much, and with you, you a good success. Thank you very much. And I have to say, it, um, it's, it's a power to the, the people that, you are, that are working within CEB, actually, that when you first, uh, when your representative first came here, and I won't spare their blushes, Samir and uh, etc. at the first meeting, um, when we were thinking about setting up the platform, it was quite interesting that actually an organization like yourselves, we wouldn't imagine to have taken the steps to actually reach out to us and actually say, let's try and do something and get them got us to this place. So it's, it's a good example of how uh, you might think as a, as a bank that might not be as agile and as accessible, but you've demonstrated, I think, in which I am not, this is not a financing pitch, I promise you, I'm being honest. Um, I I'm genuinely mean that. I didn't imagine that a, a bank of its sort would actually get around us and help us move this forward um, in the way that you have. So it's been really much appreciated. Sitting over to you, I mean, you're the president of um, Housing Europe, and so, uh, you know, you have an overview of needs and what's going on in, in terms of financing. Uh, and the needs uh, of diverse communities. Uh, can you say a little bit about, you know, just briefly touch on that, but then we, because I'll bring you into the conversation later, but very much why you think the platform's an important thing to have in place. 
Okay, thanks. Thanks for the invitation. I understand that I have five minutes, so I'm going to uh, sum up uh, my, my speak. Um, I'm not sure it's necessary to present uh, housing Europe. Do you need? No? Okay, so we, we, we won yeah, two minutes, you. okay? Um, <laughs> what we can say, um, uh, Housing Europe and uh, all uh, of uh, his members do a lot of things, but uh, it's soon like a lot. No, no, please let me hear because if you don't, <laughs> I'll be t 10 minutes. Okay, <laughs> uh, it's soon like a lot, but, uh, and it is a lot, but it is clearly not enough. We should recall the bad news delivered to institutions by the partner of this platform, ourselves, Housing Europe, FEMSA, uh, which in, in a nutshell show that the state of housing in Europe is critical and supply is not matching demand. Uh, it is not enough because we are faced to the decreasing role uh, of the state and public funding for housing supply. This is not a new trend. It's been happening in most Western European countries since the 19th at least. And if we take public expenditure on housing and community amenities as percentage of GDP, the share has decreased in 15 countries since pre-crisis level. This doesn't necessarily mean countries end up spending less. In England, for instance, four times as much is spent on housing benefits mm -hmm. as on actually building homes. While housing development expenditure has fallen from 11 billion in 2009 to just 5 billion in 2013 and 6 billion in 2014, housing benefit expenditure grew from 20 billion to 24.3 billion over the same period, with highest increase in the amount that goes to private sector tenants. This problem goes beyond our sector to significant failure in the housing market and construction sectors. House prices are increased faster than income. Construction is still below 2008 thus feeding the housing shortage in the EU member states. Private rents are increasing with factors such as short-term letting fervors, limiting supply in tight markets. To sum up, demand growth and government expenditure on housing for construction and individual allowance remains below the 2008 level. All this combined put enormous pressure on social housing and to some extent could damage the peaceful coexistence of citizens in some part of Europe. But the bad news does not end there. It seems indeed that governments have not learned the lesson of the crisis. I don't talk about French, of course. Instead of supporting investment in affordable housing, some of them decided to question or to attack model that had proven efficient during the crisis. It is for this reason that together with FEANSA, Abbe Pierre, Friend of Europe, we will recognize the need for some creative thinking to exit the deadlock we are facing in many regions. The housing solution platform can contribute to raising the profile of this problem and to most importantly identify new sources of income to help us to address it. I'm indeed president of Housing Europe, but I'm also the CEO of social housing company close to the city of Lyon. As CEO, the question of how to finance our activities is obviously a crucial one. How to finance our traditional 
uh, activities of building and managing dwellings and how to finance social innovation for our tenants. For construction, maintenance and refurbishment, social housing providers need borrowing low. I said borrowing because those loans have nothing spectacular, basically 30 or 40 years loan and favorable interest rate provided by public or private banking institution. One of the most famous examples of this borrowing scheme is the Livrea, the French Livrea. It provides stability and long-term view on our financial resources and therefore help plan building more home. This is the basis upon which everything else can flourish. If this, the Jeropar desire, for instance, for more difficult access to low-cost funding from public, public budget, the ability of social housing provider to innovate is put into question. However, we do not sit and wait for cheap money in order to perform our mission. More and more social housing providers look at how to finance innovation through partnership with other sectors, with city and with institutions like the European Investment Bank or the Council of Europe uh, Development Bank, of course. For example, in Scotland, housing associations have set up a renewable energy company whose revenue helped to build more affordable homes. In Malmo, the city budget has been used to train young unemployment residents so that they can refurbish apartments, thus saving hundreds of thousands of employment benefits. Hybridity and cross-subdivision are now very common to finance a broad range of services. In Barcelona, the EIB invests in affordable, invest affordable homes with the city council after years of deregulation and lack of investment. This is also good and promising, but we are far from the level of the investment needed to bridge the housing shortage in many parts of the UL. How we can move forward? Three points and I finish. First point, ensuring the basic borrowing part of funding, long-term housing solution cannot thrive if long-term financial solutions are not provided. And I'm not going to stop you, I was going to say, can you think about this, and perhaps I'll answer it later, but where from? Pub public or private, it's not a it problem. Doesn't matter? I, of course, it's matter, but we cannot uh, we cannot uh, decide this point because if the national level uh, decide to do to don't develop okay, uh, right. uh, public uh, fund, we, we need private. Sure. Okay, okay, so sure, sure. Um, European level uh, can't uh, say to national level what they have to do. Indeed, we just we, we, okay. So it's why I say private or public. If you ask my opinion, mm -hmm. of course public is better. But it's just my fine. opinion, it's not the opinion of uh, President uh, of uh, Housing Europe. So we need basic borrowing uh, uh, for help housing uh, uh, actor to develop social and affordable housing. Second point, attract private investors. So uh, why are sovereign funds, insurance company, pension fund not more active in the field of social housing? It is because of reluctance of the sector or because of lack of adequate institution to the channel the money from the private sector. Why are social impact bonds is so difficult to mm. put in the place? And it's probably my, my third point. Um, I think that we must work together uh, on the housing for the future, FEANSA, Friends of Europe, Fondation Abbé Pierre, and all the stakeholders which, uh, which are in this platform. Um, and of course local and national authorities, because if we want to capture the money, it, it's an image, sorry, it's very simple, but uh, I think it's important that we share this, this image. 
because if we want to capture the money, which arrives by big tube, uh, we mustn't present them plenty of different and small and, uh, uh, tube. Because we have a problem, there is a lot of money we arrived on the topic of social housing and uh, more generally in the topic of social innovation. And we all present on our level, on our association, on our uh, local uh, city, some small project uh, uh, we cannot plug in with this big tube. So we need a way to plug in in the new finance stream. We need to aggregate our pro project and develop and present our sustainable development goals. I think it's one of the way because uh, we, we have no time to reflect to very complex financial system. It's not our job. Our job is to house. Our job is to propose affordable uh, housing. It's not, we are not bank. We are not a uh, 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 sort of magician, or you can say that, uh, magician of the finance. Uh, I think it's not our job, but we, need answer to the investor, public or private, who propose big tube with a lot of money to match this uh, uh, stream. It's one, uh, the last idea I want to share with you before we have next uh, over exchange in the morning. Thank you. Seven minutes? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ish, I was generous. No, 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 I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, no, but good stuff. And I, I suppose it just, it does, I mean, your contribution, uh, as, as you know, we've, you know, we've had, uh, you know, let's say a wholesaler, uh, if I can call you mm -hmm. that, um, and the demand on this side. And it's a case of, you know, who should be the, uh, the kind of the broker and how do we get the more brokering mechanisms and who has the responsibility of fitting the big tube into something that's more aggregate? And that's the, some of the questions that we might need to attend to because you find that in terms of adversity, people will actually come together and do something. So the Malmo experience, the kind of the Scottish experience, I, I know very well, uh, but that came out of those those associations feeling that no, no money's not going to come from anywhere else and felt the need to do it, but no one else, are, no one else facilitated it. So it's a question about you know, whose role and you know, who plays which role and how do you get that kind of uh, that facilitation happening more, more effectively. Um, Fleek, over to you. Fiancetta. Thank you, uh, Dermenda. Uh, I'm Fleek Spinnerman. I'm director of Fiancetta. Uh, Fiancetta is one of the uh, partners of the Housing Solutions Platform, actually the initiator, but uh, in a very modest uh, way, so now we're all equal uh, partners. I, I would <laughs> like, if you allow me, um, to uh, say two words about the European context and then uh, try to summarize for you what we think the Housing Solutions Platform is. Of course, it's a thing in development, so it can change over time. First of all, I have to say that I think the European I mean, this is a transnational initiative, so it's important to look at the European level. And I think that the political context at European level is ideal uh, at the moment. And let me give you two examples why I think it's ideal. Yesterday, uh, the European Commission launched the annual growth uh, survey. It's the start of the semester process, which is a very important economic surveillance process uh, driven by uh, the European Commission, an EU uh, process. Uh, very much geared towards economic surveillance, but increasingly uh, social. Now, under the chapter uh, uh, related to investment, and we're talking about financing here, uh, I read uh, the following. Europeans need affordable, accessible, and quality services, and then it goes on about uh, all kinds of services. But then it says, adequate social housing and other housing assistance are also essential. This also entails protecting vulnerable people against unjustified forced evictions and foreclosures, as well as tackling homelessness. Now, it might um, uh, sound to you very superficial, 
But if you know that it's only 10 pages long and that every single word gets debated um, uh, in the European Commission, it's extremely important to have this uh, mentioned um, there. So I, I don't think that we can underestimate the value. It provides an interesting uh, uh, context. The second example is uh, last week, um, the uh, heads of state and government uh, launched the social pillar, uh, the social rights pillar, the pillar of social rights. Uh, and in that pillar, uh, you can read under principle 19, right 19, uh, access to social housing or housing assistance of good quality shall be provided for those in need. Again, it might be superficial for you, but also that document has been debated for over a year. It has been supported by all member states. To have something like that in there is really important, especially because it will inform uh, future social policy of the European Union. So you can say that in the social policy as well as in the economic policy, from now on, from last week on, housing and access to affordable housing is central uh, bit. So I think the European context is perfect at the moment. Now, this context needs to be dynamized. Is that what you say in English? Probably not. Dynamic? Needs to, to, to be, needs to be kept dynamic or okay. needs ah. to be kept alive. Ah. And there the European Commission plays an incredibly important um, role. It has to act uh, on housing. People will immediately say, yes, but the Commission has very limited competences to legislate, for instance, in the area of housing, which is true. But there is things the European Commission can do. Uh, it can monitor the progress that member states make. For instance, that will be an important one. And there is Eurostat, and Eurostat provides a whole toolbox of um, data that can be used for that purpose. But there is also the possibility for the European Commission to invest in mutual learning. There is an awful lot to learn from each other in the provision of affordable housing. There is plenty of interesting practices and policies um, uh, that could be um, um, promoted um, uh, at European level. And they could be inserted in a whole range of EU processes, thematic EU processes, that could benefit from a strong housing dimension. The migration agenda, somebody mentioned already um, uh, the issue of migration. Um, there is um, a communication from the Commission on the integration of third country nationals, which has a very big housing part. So it can benefit from uh, interesting affordable housing practices. There is a disability strategy, which is based on the UN Convention for the Rights of People with Disabilities, which has a strong housing dimension. There is a whole policy around domestic violence, people a victim of domestic violence, uh, related to Istanbul Convention, which has a very strong housing dimension. There is the work on child poverty, which is related to a commission recommendation on child poverty, investing in, child, in children, which has a very strong housing dimension. So this is just a few of these kind of processes where the European Union, where the European Commission could benefit from expertise, practical expertise uh, on um, uh, housing. What is interesting and what we noticed a year ago is that the issue of affordable housing, housing solutions for um, the bottom end um, of the market, is largely untouched at the moment. There is organizations working uh, on it, but not in a very dynamic way. The Commission doesn't take it up. The NGOs do not sufficiently take it up. Even the research community at the European level doesn't sufficiently take it up. And the housing solutions platform wants to fill that gap in a, a cooperative um, way. Not only because there is a European context that is ideal, but also because we feel that at national level and at local level there is growing demand for affordable housing solutions, for creativity in the thinking around affordable housing uh, uh, solutions. Uh, and also uh, because the social housing sector cannot do everything 
I think we have to go beyond uh, the social housing sector. We have to also see what the private sector can do um, uh, as well. So that's why we have set up the uh, housing solutions platform. So what is it? Very quickly, it's a platform that aims to identify interesting practices and policies, analyze them, promote them, and try to scale them, and link them up to potential investors. And that's why we are so happy that the uh, um, uh, Development Bank of the Council of Europe is on board for this conference and hopefully on board for the future of the housing uh, uh, solutions platform. The organizations that drive the housing solutions platform are Friends of Europe, uh, Housing Europe, Fondation Pierre, and Feanza. But the aim uh, really is um, to bring together real experts, people that are active on the ground uh, on uh, housing. So how do we want to do that? We want to group the supply of expertise individual experts, we want to identify them and bring them uh, together. And we want to group the demand for expertise, which can come from EU, as I said, from public authorities, and even from uh, uh, found foundations. And this is our first attempt to actually bring the experts and the potential uh, demanders for expertise together around uh, one table. But it's only a start, and we are very keen and committed to further build it into something that will be visible and of added value. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, given what you've just heard, and particularly in the context of trying to bring people together to actually share and exchange your expertise, but also to problem solve, uh, we thought it would be really interesting to have Ken, Ken with us, Ken Gibb, um, from the uh, Collaborative Centre for Housing Evidence, uh, to kind of share your experience of pulling together, um, or rather enabling policymakers and financiers think about evidence when you're actually trying to think about this problem. And I think if I look around the table, most of us are old enough to have gone through the boom and bust of the past 30 years and seeing that actually housing comes in and out of fashion as a policy mantra to a certain extent, yet everyone recognises that actually it's like a critical piece of infrastructure in society that actually is like education. You need housing for economic development and personal growth. And you can't have stability and well-being if you don't have that as an essential piece of the jigsaw of your life, but also in society. But over to you to give us some, ex some share your experiences about the, you know, what you're doing, but also the efficacy of evidence-based uh, policymaking in this particular area. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, I'm framed in an international context, I hope, talking about evidence and foreign policy. You might want to bring the microphone just closer to you so everyone uh, talking about evidence-influenced policy, I hope, will be of use in an, uh, in an international context. I suppose we're all very familiar with the symptoms of housing problems and how they impact on uh, economies and societies. But the, the question for us, I guess, as a, as a research centre, is understanding the causes of those symptoms, understanding the transmission mechanisms that they, they operate in a, in a housing system so that interventions, effective interventions, can be tailored tailored as well as possible. Housing is obviously complex. It's uh, slow to change. The stock dominates the, uh, new, new, the, the, dominates the, the, new, the new supply. It's subject to externalities. It's also subject to big demand shocks that, that can occur to the housing system. There's pervasive state in intervention. And the housing system is made up of segments and sectors and tenures, all of which interact and are interdependent with each other. So that complexity stands in stark contrast to the way a lot of people still make housing policy at local and national level, where 
recognising perhaps the central place that housing does play in terms of infrastructure, in terms of, of its role in society, in personal finance, and uh, also uh, social mo and economic mo mobility. Nonetheless, policy seems often to be faith-based or ideological in the way that it, that it comes about. And a colleague of mine sums this up by talking about the, the typical path of, of housing policy making, uh, often uh, historically in the UK, where an idea is announced, then a few uh, months later, a design is introduced, and then a few months or years after that, there's some evidence to try to back up the policy mm. in the first place, mm. rather than inverting that program and process. And we're all, I think, familiar with that. So we think that evidence is important in housing policy terms for at least four different reasons. Identifying and then filling the gaps in evidence about important housing uh, issues. Understanding how this complex housing system operates and how it unfolds over time, so we understand that transmission mechanism I mentioned. Clearly assessing the effectiveness of interventions. And finally, actually contributing to policymakers' discussions about new interventions and new policies on an evidence-informed basis. And in the UK, there's been a rather odd mix where in some sectors there's been very impressive uh, evidence-influenced policy through the What Works initiative, which has made a huge difference across a range of sectors, but not housing. Similarly, we have quite impressive at times parliamentary impact assessments across a range of criteria. Again, quite uh, impressive, though sometimes con controversial. Uh, but all this has gone on at a time when housing analytical capacity has been hollowed out, especially after the, the financial cr crisis, both at local and central uh, government. So this new centre that we're setting up, uh, which again is completely general in its perspective, it's about the UK, but it draws on international uh, evidence, so hopefully it has a wider uh, currency. It's partly a What Works Institute. It's trying to use evidence on a rigorous basis to address policy making and evidence about policies that are already in place. It's a networking activity with overlapping networks of academics, practitioners, policy makers, <coughs> uh, people active in trying to change housing, and it's about sharing knowledge and in, in, innovation and the like. And it's also a research centre. We're doing primary research as well, and we're also trying to help share data and evidence to other users of uh, research. We have, uh, we are grounded around five knowledge exchange hubs where different stakeholders work together with us to try to determine the priorities of what our research and evidencing ought to be. So we are very plural, plural in our methods, but also plural in our attitude to our stakeholders. Everybody's got a right to be there and to work in housing, and we should listen to all, all, all of them, but none of them should be dominant, as it were. We have probably seven uh, research themes, which are very broad and comprehensive, as determined by, by our, f our funders. I just want to talk about one of them, which is what we call multi-level uh, governance, which is about how policy ma making happens at different territorial levels. That seems very relevant to this uh, grouping, in particular because of the, the big question of policy transfer and policy mobility. We, we are very aware of the opportunities to learn lessons and share, both within the UK Scotland, Scotland and England are diverging very uh, dram dramatically at the moment in terms of housing policy and practice. But it's also clearly true internationally. But there are, you know, the literature evidence tells us there are all manner of institutional difficulties about too readily sharing policy practice. It's quite 
one thing to learn about innovations elsewhere. It's another thing to grab a policy and just convert it and, and try to use it without taking sufficient account of context, path dependency and history, etc. So I've just been involved in a project where uh, we've been looking at different parts of Europe and how they've responded to the financial crisis in terms of affordable housing supply. And it's interesting that a country like Austria, with its low-cost, low uh, sorry, low-profit social housing system with its attempts to develop new credit insti in, in, institutions has really hit, hit a, has resonated with many other parts of Europe and actually we have colleagues in Ireland in the Republic of Ireland who are very interested in that Austrian model but it's hard to think of two more different sets of contexts and uh, arranged approaches to social housing than probably Austria and, and Ireland so there's a lot of mediation that has to go on between policy in those sorts of ways and we're we're very interested uh, as as academics i guess in how one actually has influence and what are the channels you use to have influence and impact and it's a it's a general un universal question how if you have a good idea how do, how do you make sure you get it out there and what channels can you use and actually recognize that you can do all the right things but serendipity m matters and things may go wrong so that your message doesn't get out the way you want to. So you have to use everything at your disposal. You have to repeat the message. You have to reinforce it. But even so, it may not necessarily uh, uh, work. We're, we're running a number of international uh, evidence reviews this year, up to 12. Uh, and I'll just say three or four of them give you a flavor of the kinds of work we want to do. One's on affordability sol sol solutions, which we'll speak directly to what I think we're here today for. One's about good housing design for affordable housing. One's about housing policy transfer and within the UK lesson sharing and how what institutional arrangements are there to facilitate that. One's about uh, homelessness prevention and one's about the incidence and effects of housing taxation, how housing and the economy have a two-way relationship and the taxation system plays such a, a vital role in that. So we think uh, this research centre uh, is a once-in-a-generation opportunity in the UK to deliver a what works capacity to embed housing evidence into the culture of making policy and practice. I say that very carefully since my funder is sitting right next to me. Uh, but we think we're, we're really determined to make as much of this opportunity as we've got, as we can, and we're very keen to share ideas with everybody in, in Europe and beyond uh, to try and, and make that uh, occur and uh, we, we, we look forward, I look forward to the, the rest of the day today. Ken, thank you very much. I'm notwithstanding your funder next to you, how confident are you uh, that your research is actually being read, well, it might be read, is it having an impact? Mm, yeah. We've, we are so close your ears for a moment yeah. if you don't uh, mind. No, it's yeah. uh, very important, Brian hears this actually. Uh, <laughs> we're quite new, we've only, just, we've only been funded for three months. Uh, oh, we've got five is it year. the Scottish Government? Or not? Who, who's funding you? The ESRC, Economic Social Research ah. Council, the Arts and Humanities, and Joseph Rowntree Foundation. Ah, the okay. Uh, so, so it's not like the other work, because for those of you who don't know, the government, the Cabinet Office in the UK, set up what work centres, um, uh, centres of excellence, if you like, um, on a whole range of issues that were collaborated by uh, national research uh, entities, but mostly funded through the government. But yours is not, actually. It's yeah. quite different and independent. Yes, I, I actually used to be in a what work centre for, 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 for Scotland, so I've got some experience of it. Yeah. But no, what I was going to say was uh, that we, we are drawing on all, the, all of our colleagues and networks in order to make the biggest impact we can on questions. But all I can say in the first three months, we've had a tremendous 
wellspring of interest and enthusiasm and support from Whitehall, from the national governments, from the private sector, from a whole set of pu 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 public agencies. In fact, far, almost overwhelming in their interest and their okay. desire to work, work with us. And your remit is UK and, and Europe, or is it? It's you, you, all, all of UK, but we have to draw on international best practice evidence, whatever practice it is. Then. So that's a two-way process. Sure. Sure. Thank you very much. Thank okay. You. Thank you. So we've we've had a little bit of uh, an explanation as to why the platform's important uh, 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 from the key partners. We've had a contribution about the importance of evidence-based policy making. Now we move into the kind of in substantive uh, discussion uh, around the theme of you know um, in social inclusion, economic mobility, and uh, we've invited a number of you to con contribute. Uh, but I'm going to turn to Marco Kanovic. Um, and take our view to Montenegro. Um, and obviously, you're doing some interesting things. Uh, it'll be good to draw out what the, cha what the challenges are, but what the lessons that could be shared for others in terms of the issue of mobility and economic development in, in relation to housing. Thank you. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank you for inviting me uh, to be one part of this important meeting. Everything that is important in the housing sector is here around this table uh, in the region and around the Europe. So when we speak about uh, social housing, we have to go basically from the needs of the country and uh, to make strategy, how to solve the problems. Also, of course, the essence of the problems is very important when you make a strategy and uh, that strategy have to be supported uh, with the laws. In Montenegro, we made a national housing strategy. Then we make a law on social housing. We adopted that. Uh, we try to make it as wider as it can, so it can support any kind of projects. Uh, I forgot to tell you in the beginning that I'm ca coming from a very small country. It's 13,000 kilometers square, 650,000 people, and. Uh, for us, it's very important to have a good projects and good models that are visible with the good solutions. Uh, so we can be a good pilot project for any other country and uh, for any other kind of model of uh, solving of these projects. So solving of these pro problems. After economical crisis, we had a big housing uh, problem. Uh, we had a lot of uh, lack of uh, financial resources uh, for uh, solving of this, these problems, so we have to find some very innovative models and solutions how to go with uh, affordable housing, uh, with rental housing, uh, that uh, all uh, is covered with the law on social housing. We define the priority groups first, and one of the best models that we were implementing with our colleagues and friends and uh, from uh, Council of Europe Bank is uh, Project 1000 Plus. It's a concrete project, concrete model. Uh, uh, Rosa, Vice Governor, also spoke a little bit about that. I will go maybe a little bit more into details uh, in these 15 minutes that I have to speak about that. Uh, but uh, you don't have 15 minutes. You realize? I know, that. I know, I know. Basically, project is uh, funded. Uh, with the uh, government money that we loan from uh, Council of Europe Bank with a low interest rate, uh, and 50% uh, of the project is for debt sources. The other sources are 45% from domestic banks, 
5% uh, for people who are solving their existential problem. Uh, basically, the biggest problem was high interest rate in Montenegro. In that period, this is the third phase that we are starting. Uh, we will try to start now after we sign the, the next contract with the bank. Uh, interest rate rose from 7 to 10% uh, in Montenegro for mortgage housing loans. It's a very high interest rate, <laughs> I think all around this table can agree, and uh, when you compare the uh, average salary in Montenegro and the average uh, price of uh, meter square, uh, for one salary you can buy 0.5 meter square uh, in, in Montenegro. And uh, we, through this program, we needed to lower interest rate to make competition uh, through domestic banks, and uh, with that model, I think we succeed because this is the third phase of the project and every step of the project is better and better. We are solving these organizational issues, technical issues, and every time interest rate for final users is lower and lower. And that's specifically because of the, the wholesale finance you get from CEB that enables you to do that? We make a credit. Okay. We, we take credit from CEB with very low interest rate. Uh, that money that we take uh, from the Council of Europe Bank, we give to our domestic banks, uh, even with a lower interest rate that we take it from SEP, but they need uh, for final users uh, put uh, interest rate lower than uh, it's... So uh, ultimately, the beneficiary does, ben does actually va get a, a net value benefit of from course. this uh, change. No, it doesn't happen everywhere. Some, some, you know, most, most, you know, my experience of the places in, across the world, uh, even if you get the credit, doesn't actually end up being in the, you know. This time doesn't calculate in five minutes, eh? No, it doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> okay. It doesn't. Uh, <laughs> but it's an interesting example. That's why I'm allowing you more time. No, carry on. Basically, the answer on your question is that uh, interest rate for final users, for citizens, was from 7 to 12% on the first year and uh, in the project is 3.99 for last year. So uh, the market interest rates are getting lower and lower. Mm. Now we have uh, for this third phase uh, interest rates from 4.5 to 7 in, uh, within different banks, but banks, all of the banks participated in the project. They were competing between each other. So uh, we make uh, joint rules, public calls for every, all the banks, and we only need one. Uh, in Montenegro, during uh, the last year, we sold uh, on the market around 1,000 flats. Participation of the project, the 1,000 plus, was 45.2% in, in that. So uh, half of the flats in Montenegro last year were sold through this project. Uh, the most uh, important thing is not just uh, that part of for final users that we defined it like uh, families with low and medium uh, income. Uh, we have a priority groups uh, that are defined by our law on social housing and they have advantage in applying for the project and all set of criterias from the I don't know, salary, uh, years um, uh, of the applicants, etc. It's, it's, uh, and all of that is defined by sub-law act because it's very important to have a very clear rules and just go uh, through that rules. Uh, one part of the benefit of this project is also the economic activity. Uh, uh, 
construction companies are also uh, involved in the project. For that project, they need to uh, submit an offer to clients that is lower than the market offer for the same flats. Because they will sell at one moment 400 flats and they will get money immediately. Even if some flats are still in a const uh, sure. construction. And uh, at the end of the day, the most important part of the project is that uh, in Montenegro we solved 400 uh, housing problems for uh, different target groups that we define each uh, year. And that is uh, the, the biggest uh, benefit actually of, the, of this uh, project. Uh, it's a very cheap model for the government as one of investors. We are paying only interest rate to Council of Europe Bank. Uh, banks, domestic banks, commercial banks are taking all the risks for the credits. And uh, interest rate, it's the best on the market for the target groups. Uh, this is one of the models that we are implementing in, in Montenegro. And this is that part affordable housing. You know, uh, we have also other models, the rental housing, also the um, uh, models that we are solving problems of IDPs in Montenegro through a regional housing program, uh, which is also one most important part of the housing in Montenegro because uh, during the war on the Balkans, we had, uh, even we are not strike directly with the war, we had another problem. At one moment, one-third of the population in Montenegro were IDPs. So the consequences of that are housing problems and illegal housing <laughs> problems. Would you uh, explain what IDPs are for people? Uh, refugees. Mm. Refugees from uh, surrounding countries. Okay. Yeah, internally displacement people. Internally displacement people. And... Uh, for a small country, we have uh, big problems, but with the projects like this, we are, we are solving them very effectively. Uh, the the uh, visibility of these projects is incredible in Montenegro. You can see when, when uh, the <coughs> impact is 45.2% uh, uh, in uh, all sold flats in Montenegro is through that one project. Mm. So uh, the project has support of our government and I think it will have support uh, of all the governments in the next 100 years with, because this model is working for Montenegro. And uh, Perhaps, but others might say you're small. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing that Scotland has, Ireland has, Belgium and others, is that you know, it's okay with a population of 1.5 million or whatever, and, or, or 5 million, but actually when you get to 70 million, you're talking about a very different housing system and a marketplace. Of course. But I'm not suggesting it's not, but I think there's a kind of, it's about the, people's mindsets in the business case that actually can a system operate on the basis that you're describing? For, for the biggest countries, you have to look uh, on economical parameters mm. of the money that you have sure. for that mm. project, of the uh, potential of the local banks who are working uh, on that part and uh, to combine and to start step by step. Of course, I've been one, one, country, uh, one part of the country and another part of the country or with the target groups. This target sure. group, that target group. I've got two very uh, simple questions for you. One is, what kind of public, I mean, a policy, political policy 
support did you have to do this or was it because you had easy access to, do to money? Was that the driver or did you actually have a political will and policy uh, indication to actually move in the direction? And my second question very briefly is whether you're evaluating this so that actually are you putting an independent kind of um, economic impact assessment together over a 10-year period to say actually this works? Because actually people fail to do that and if we did it would be fabulous. Uh, first of all, like I said in the beginning, um, uh, we made a national strategy, housing strategy. Fine. And through implementation of that, one of the programs uh, was uh, was uh, 1,000 plus program. Okay. Uh, we developed the model with uh, our partners from the Council of Europe Bank and uh, it worked for Montenegro, it worked perfectly. Okay. Uh, we had, uh, every time we had about thousand uh, 1,000 applications, we didn't have any one complaint through three fa two phases of the project from any person, you know, because everything has to be totally transparent, everything sure, has sure. to be implemented uh, with a good organizational structure, mm -hmm. and that is also one part. When, when we speak about uh, policy makers, uh, when I said in next hundred years everybody will support this kind of model for Montenegro is that uh, I don't need it to show up in the parliament to or anywhere else to defend this kind of project. Sure, but are, you, do, are you doing an economic assessment or any sort of evaluation of this, of this particular of course, piece of work? Uh, you after every year after year. <laughs> Uh, we have to prepare a final report that is adopted by the government. Okay, no, uh, that's a different and, matter. Uh, yeah, I'm, that I'm talking about something. Else. Sorry to cut across you. Of course, you have to vouch for the money and the this is not the directive. I'm talking about an economic impact assessment of this policy. What benefit did it have long term in terms of placemaking, economic viability of individuals, etc. That kind of stuff. Uh, can I come back again? <laughs> we are preparing the final report for the government. Inside that report, we have all that parameters uh, and analysis, and I have one here in Montenegrin language, but I, I think we can share it for you in, uh, in English, and you have to see all the parameters and uh, what we wrote there. May, may I add? Sorry, just one second. Okay. So it's yeah, thank you very much. Now, on this project, very briefly, well, I would like to say that we are very proud of uh, of this project. Uh, we are very proud of the of how it's going, and um, we appreciate very much the commitment of the ministry to to implement and to develop and implement this project. It's the third phase. The, when you talk about evaluation, well, this is essential. I mean, because mm. from the bank's point of view, also from the ministries, from the Montenegrin government point of view, because they are accountable to the population and they have to, you know, to give, uh, 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 to justify where they put the money, of course. But from the bank's point of view, we are a social bank. Uh, when we decide to get involved in the financing, design, implementation of a project, we evaluate it from the social economic point of view. Uh, we have to justify to our board that we are financing projects with a social, a clear social impact. So uh, we, at the selection process, we, we do and the, the screening, evaluation, appraisal phase, all these issues, the environmental impact, social impact, economic impact are taken into account. Otherwise, we cannot get in the financing of the project. But this is a priori. This is a, a priori exercise. But then we do, a, in the implementation phase and a posteriori, 
also an evaluation of the economic and social impact because we have to learn from our experiences, for, from our uh, financial activity, and to introduce these lessons in, uh, you know, in uh, other projects we are considering. And in this particular project, the evaluation department uh, is following with the, with the Montenegro administration all these issues. And uh, I can say that uh, according to the information we have, uh, we are very, I, I mean, we are convinced that uh, from an economic and social point of view, all our requirements are fully met. And we are very proud that we are targeting what we were supposed to do and the uh, goals of the project. Has been, have been achieved. Rosa, what, was, what were the considerations you were making before you invested, made the decision to invest in Montenegro? What kind of conditions were you looking for? Were you looking for the kind of fact, is there a strategy in place? Is there uh, finance uh, in place? Or were you trying to gap fill and actually problem solve in a place where it needed help? It could be both, but it's just, uh, it's just interesting yes. to know. Yes, well, it could be both, actually, yes, but uh, one uh, essential uh, factor of our uh, financing, financial activities is the the social impact of the project. Are we tackling the most vulnerable people? Okay. Are we helping to economic growth? But not only the most vulnerable, because we are, in, for example, this project is not targeting to the unemployed or the low-income people, because all the, the, the beneficiaries of this scheme need to have an income to pay the mortgage. So it's like type of middle class income, but obviously it has a social impact. I mean, the social is not only the, the vulnerable no, and the unemployed. No. It's, uh, it, you can address a huge range of, uh, of groups in, in every society. And it has to, uh, we need to have an integrated view in terms of what's the impact of economic growth, of improving the living conditions, of uh, gender issues, environmental issues, uh, the, the development of uh, a certain region, uh, whether we reach the targets of uh, um, improving the inclusiveness, integration of uh, the more vulnerable groups. Um, so it's a wide range of factors no, we take into I account. I imagine so. I, I suppose my question was more the, what, what, how much are you looking, looking at infrastructure capacity and aptitude? And what I mean by that is, yeah. you know, is the government ready and prepared? Yes, is of there course. financing? Is yeah. that, is that yeah. part of the... Of course. Uh, I mean, the, we, this is why I mentioned in my intervention, uh, maybe it was not clear, that we provide a whole range of services to accompany our clients in the design and implementation of the project. Obviously, okay. there are some uh, governments that, uh, that, ha that, that have the institutional framework, the capabilities, but um, increasingly, uh, there are, uh, even at local governments, uh, basically, they don't have the skills or the capacity, so we accompany them, we, we provide technical assistance, and we help them to design the best solution. And we also provide them, for example, in this particular program, we help them at the beginning to identify how to identify the beneficiaries. I mean, so we don't, we just not give the financing and leave our client alone. Mm -hmm. We accompany the client from the initial stages because a bad design gives to a worse implementation. And this is not our, our goal. We, we want to develop the project, finance the project, but then to have the, uh, the I mean, to achieve the goal we, we, we are aiming at, which is uh, to, uh, to have these uh, projects, uh, which will help them, the governments, to provide solutions, social solutions, social housing, to, the, to well, all the, okay. the different groups in their, in their societies. But the evaluation is key. Uh, this is what I, I want to highlight it. Good, good to hear. Um, colleagues, we're now going to go in-depth further. And, but before we do, and I invite some of the people that are around this table to contribute, I wanted to bring in the voice of citizens. Um, we 
we have a debating platform called Debating Europe, and we reach nearly three million users, uh, which um, may not be great and huge in other terms, but in our sector, it's massive, you know, reaching out to three million citizens from across Europe. And we regularly engage with citizens on um, hot topics of the day, but also key policy issues from across Europe. And we interact with politicians and go back and forth, if you like. We almost, I suppose we provide a kind of a, a barometer of how, how citizens across Europe feel on certain issues. And we did something on housing. So this is what some people on the ground think about the housing issue. So Alex in Portugal said, we should get rid of the thousands of Airbnbs and tax property speculators. Alexander from Romania said, build more tower blocks. In Eastern Europe, mostly because of the Soviet legacy, there are countless cheap flats in high buildings which limit urban sprawl. Benjamin from the UK said, economic injustice is the root of the housing crisis, not a lack of supply in the housing market. Um, Elp from Bulgaria said governments should requisition property if owners fail to main it, maintain it, so city centres look good and feel safe. Um, Joseph from Latvia says there is no housing crisis. There are thousands and thousands of abandoned houses and whole villages in the Baltic countries and rural areas, especially in Eastern Europe, um, etc. And so on. I won't read what it does, but it gives you a flavour, and perhaps this is one more, uh, I suppose, uh, uh, in terms of heightened emotions is Sharon in the UK says in the UK it feels like migrants and refugees are being rehoused straight away whereas British people have to wait um, yeah so it gives you a flavor of you know this is how citizens on the ground feel about some of these issues and that's you know a cross-section it's not just one clump we're talking about north south east west uh, across the piece um, and so on that note I want to I want to bring in um, um, Javier um, from your experience in, in Barcelona, you're doing some really interesting things. Again, it would be really good to understand how you got there and what the lessons are for, 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 the, for the people around this community, this table here. Because it, politics, money, but capacity also matters in this, in this territory. So over to you. Okay, in three minutes I will have to wrap instead of talk. Yeah. Uh, First of all, I think we have to accept that there is a strong scientific evidence that markets don't, uh, are not able to provide affordable housing for all. And at the same time, uh, if housing is not uh, if, if we shouldn't leave housing 100% to the market, I say, coming from a, an administration, that, that we shouldn't leave uh, housing to the administration 100% either. We need a combination. We need uh, PPPs as much as possible, we need to collaborate and we need to do things together. To put you one example of uh, one thing that is not going correctly in Barcelona, our markets are mainly focused in short-term rents and in high-price ownership. Mm. And we need many more things. We need that, of course, we need that in order to function as a city, but we need more things. And uh, let me say that uh, public intervention or public action and, and PPPs in the, house of, in, the, in the field of housing it doesn't put into jeopardy competence. In fact, we, uh, through di diversification and through uh, risk, structural risk uh, control, we improve uh, the, uh, the functioning of the markets. We should see markets at a more complex uh, uh, way. And it's not, it's not one or the other. Mm -hmm. We should mix uh, actions. Uh, in the case of Arsenal, what are we doing right now? Uh, like the Woody Allen film, we are doing whatever it works. <laughs> well, you do have a particular context at the moment, don't you? 
I, I really don't know what you are talking about, and if you don't refer to the process, I won't mention the Brexit. Indeed. Okay, okay <laughs> deal. Deal. Can we do that? Absolutely. Okay, let, let's move on. Uh, in the, next in the, in the, in the uh, current four years, uh, we will invest 1.3 billion euros in, affordable, in, in public, social, affordable, and PPP uh, housing. Uh, this is a tremendous effort undertaken mainly through uh, municipal resources, because we are a little bit alone, not other, administration, other administrations are not following us, and through the uh, support in 35% uh, of, of the resources uh, by uh, public banking, some of our uh, financial partners are here, they, they have spoken already, and we are also targeting to 5% uh, of uh, private equity, because we want to engage in uh, long-term companies uh, with both parties. And when, when I was saying that we are doing whatever it works, uh, it means that we are developing emergency tools, that we are building new houses, 80% for rental, 20% for leasehold, 0% for sell. Uh, That's 67% uh, uh, of the objectives will be carried on by our own means, by municipal companies, and 33% will be done with cooperatives, foundations, co-housing, a metropolitan housing association, and so on. We are also mobilizing vacant stock uh, to uh, affordable uh, rental through two, through two different programs, one 100% public and the other one is a collaboration with the NGO. We are buying dwellings and uh, buildings and we are subsidizing and giving uh, public aids to rent and to rehabilitation. We are doing many things or we are trying to do many things, but uh, the, 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 the following message or the conclusion from, from this is that even though we could be successful, Hopefully we will be successful because otherwise I will be removed from my position. If we are successful, we won't create a massive, a, a massive impact in the market. Our, our uh, force of penetration in the market right now is 2%. 2% public and uh, private, uh, private, either non-NGOs or uh, limited profit companies. We have a 2% uh, impact in the market and, and in the market and 98% of the market is run by uh, profit-oriented mm. companies. Mm. So even though if we uh, multiply by two or by three our actions, we will, we, we will still be uh, uh, structurally uh, non-relevant. So mm. um, let me say that we uh, welcome more partners. We are open to more collaboration with NGOs, with private companies, with banks, with funds. Remember, whatever it works. We are eager to innovate financially. Uh, in a way, as uh, my president Frederick said before, well, uh, we are not uh, financial masters. We know how to uh, house people in a, in a long basis, in a long-term basis, but we are not experts in finance, so we have to diversify and we have to so, uh, make more sophisticated our uh, financial portfolio. We won't be able to fight this uh, battle alone, even though cities, they have a lot of energy and we can uh, mm, push the agenda and we can change the framework, we can do it by ourselves. We need regional governments and we need state governments. And of course we are ready to act, but uh, uh, I think one, one, one evidence that we have to face is that even though we can change, change some things, we won't be able to change the, the whole framework alone. So we have to collaborate uh, and I uh, end my three minutes wrap with uh, uh, thank you for the invitation mm. and with a congratulation for this initiative because of course a platform like this might give us some uh, more uh, 
elements, tools, and hope. Well, let's hope. On, thank you for that. And it's, I think it's quite uh, arresting when you say that 98% of the of the field, you know, is, is basically profit sector. I mean, so the market, in, in a sense, you've got a, a very dominant dominant free market approach to the provision of housing locally. Um, are you experimenting with different models of tenure? Yeah. I.e., you know, and also, are you? What kind of role are you playing with the private sector when they are, let's say? taking over property or building new stuff to use the power that potentially you have on, I don't know, to invoke a clause for social housing as being part of a mixed tenure uh, of what they provide. Do you do that kind of stuff there? Yeah, first of all, we have some legal obligations. Mm -hmm. In order to promote new buildings in, in, in Spanish cities, you have to comply with uh, what we call uh, social, social housing obligations. Okay. So 40% of new stock, uh, or, in some places, 40% of the new stock in, a, in the existing city uh, has to be uh, social, and uh, out of the new development, uh, there is a different, depending on the, on the, on the region, uh, there are different percentages. So private developers, they are forced by law to produce certain type of social housing. The fact is that the only uh, social housing that they produce is for ownership. And, th and this type of houses, after a few years, they become uh, market houses. Mm. We have done 6.5 million units of this in Spain, which is not a minor uh, amount because we are a 25.5 million uh, market. Mm. So in the last decade, we have done a massive action in a very non-convenient tool, if it's the only tool that we use. Mm. What are we doing right now? We produce by ourselves, uh, we give it uh, in leasehold or in rent, and we collaborate with other partners, and they have to be working. They have to be willing to work also in leasehold or in rent. Right now, we don't sell neither the, the plots of land nor the uh, the uh, dwellings. We we are promoting leasehold 75 years and uh, all different types of rental: social rental, public rental, affordable rental, PPP rental. So that's the kind of interventions you're trying to you know make to intervene in the market, albeit you're. A, a small percentage, but over time, we are not certain of which one of these tools will, will work, work better. So we sure. are, in a way, I, I think this is very, uh, it's not very polite to say because uh, we are like a housing laboratory. It's not very polite because we are using 1.3 million billion euros, and most of them they come from the taxpayers. So if they if they listen to me that we are experimenting, maybe <laughs> I will have some problems coming back home. But nevertheless, sure. we are experimenting because mm. we don't have a record of how to do things. Exactly, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and as well, we, th we are not so silly to believe that what is correct for Austria, uh, Keen before yeah. uh, quoted the, uh, the difference between Ireland and, and Austria, we could be in the same box, the difference between Spain and, uh, and, and Austria. We are not so stupid to think that whatever it works in other places where they have a consolidated system, they have been performing well for over a century years, uh, a century, 100 years, and using a ton of public and private money, that model could be implemented as, as, as such in my country. We need to experiment taking this okay. workout good practices, but at the same time, we have our history, our markets, our politicians, and so on. So we have to adapt, adapt uh, in every stage. And we will be uh, very much focusing in one of your previous remarks. We have to evaluate mm. what we do in every stage in order to change our, our decisions and to uh, pursue uh, different uh, approaches with different intensity. And just for a moment, in terms of um, refugees and migrants, your kind of 
your experience is of that is not in the same to the same degree as other European cities? Yeah, of course, because our national government is not allowing us to receive uh, uh, refugees, so we have zero or nearly zero. But we have plenty of Airbnbs, and we have plenty well. of uh, 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 um, uh, foreign citizens trying to get our the nationality through uh, the purchase of uh, real estate. Yeah. We have a lot of funds uh, buying properties because they have very attractive prices. So we have a problem with um, mm, uh, gentrification and with the fact that with the average wage, you are not able to pay the average rent. And this, is the, this could be the major problem right now in the city. But sure, that, that, that narrative or that story, if you go across Europe in every city, it's a thread that gets thicker or thinner, but it's the same thread. Yeah, when you think about uh, access to the market, particularly of young people into the marketplace. We're extremely vulnerable because uh, the city is 1.6 million inhabitants and the mm -hmm. metropolitan area is 3.3. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the brand mark, the, 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 the trademark that we have uh, built is bigger than that. Mm. The, 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 the impact of all the, all the European and international flags that go to the city, they have the, the capacity to destroy our fabrics, not only within the central city, also in the whole metropolitan area. So, of course, it's not a new phenomenon, yeah. but the, sten the, the, the extension yeah. and the quickness yeah. of uh, events, it could be uh, a little bit more specific, I believe. Absolutely. Bef I want to open up any questions at all to what you've heard before I ask my, uh, the next kind of contributor. Any queries? No? Ah, go on. Please say who you are as well. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for uh, the invitation. My name is Doris Andoni. I come from Albania. Uh, I've been working for a long time with housing issues. Now I am uh, working as an independent consultant. And it's very intriguing what I hear here because it's what somehow I have been working all these years. And I was uh, impressed by both presentations and discussions that were done here. Um, I had a um, question and comment regarding the first um, presentation by my colleague Marco, because uh, we have been developing this project for subsidizing the interest rate of uh, mortgage housing, um, mortgage loans, since some, some years now, since 2008-2009. And um, actually, we have some critics about that because it looks that it supports a category of families which are not uh, necessarily the most vulnerable ones. And um, instead, what is said by different groups of, in society, instead for the state to support the most vulnerable groups, they give subsidies to a category that possibly can have other uh, possibilities to, to get housed. And this is one of the most critics that we have for the moment in, in, in the country. And especially if you don't have another program that supports the most vulnerable one, this becomes even more critical. Um, some years before, we also developed a social housing project with the uh, support of uh, Council of Europe Development Bank. Uh, which was um, a great uh, project with a great success, but it only um, 
could reach only 1,000 families. So it's still small for the scale of, um, of the housing needs. And what um, uh, other colleague from Barcelona uh, presented is what we need. Probably we need a lot and different um, uh, variety of programs that can address different uh, groups in the society. However, you mentioned since the beginning that probably uh, we, there is not a problem of financing. It's a problem of uh, political will. Mm -hmm. So if there is political will, money can be found. Sure. And uh, this is probably the case of Barcelona that is trying to put a lot of uh, uh, funding and not only funding, but because um, housing is not just funding, is also policy, is strategy, is um, legislation to support different different programs. So it needs a political will it at does. first. Yeah, yeah, and often the only thing is that political will tends to come out of adversity. I mean, the, the market fell out of the bottom of the housing, you know, housing market in Spain completely. It was one of the you know drivers of the of the, the crisis there. And I can't imagine how any politician could not think about doing something. It's it's great. You're getting the diversity and the access to cash, and you're looking at a number of tools. But it, the unfortunate aspect is that you don't get um, very proactive, political, thoughtful stuff around this issue. It's only at times of crisis that you suddenly kind of think about it. But your point, I mean, you want to come back to that because it's you access finance to do something, but actually it's the role of government to make sure that you, act, you tackle the most vulnerable as well as middle-income groups, potentially. But I'll let you, you want to switch on the mic? Uh, like I said, I, I had only five minutes to go deeper into the structure of the target groups. Uh, but uh, of course, the, the main target groups were young couples, public servants, and others. And uh, they are uh, persons with low and middle income. We limited the income by a person in each family that can be, uh, you know, raised. So um, we had. That limit, that, that is the part when I spoke about all the criteria mm -hmm. in sub-law acts that we defined only for this project. Uh, and also uh, I mentioned that we have priorities beside of all these structures that we, uh, not structures, the criteria that we had for th those uh, target groups. Uh, the priority has the priorities from the law and social housing. I don't know, it's, it's a huge list of them, disabled persons, handicapped persons, single mothers, uh, victims of violence, people older than 67 years old. So we have all those criteria. So uh, people who can afford the flat in Montenegro, they are not buying them through this project. We also have a limitation of the price of the flat that can be uh, submitted in a proposal of the constructing companies. Sure. And uh, part, just one more sentence, yeah. part uh, that we spoke about before uh, about evaluation of the project. Mm. Every year project is evaluated and uh, we have a better solutions. In this third phase, we plan to uh, involve the already used flats, which will uh, influence on uh, uh, price of the uh, flats that will be proposed through the project. And also we have this part of energy efficiency for already used flats. They will have to go through energy efficiency check and of only sure. by that one criteria it will go. Okay. I suppose, but no, thank, you, thank you for that. But one of the issues, and I think that you might come on to this, Sosha, I think you want to come in, but 
To tackle the most vulnerable groups, the biggest mistake I think governments and providers make is that let's get them a house and do nothing else. And that's not going to solve their problem. I mean, you, you all know that around this table, absolutely. And that requires greater investment and a much more of a coordinating and joining the pipeline between training, how education, etc., etc. But, Sosha, over to you. Yes, just a reaction, Sarah and um, Cedric's colleague from Housing Europe. Um, I think um, what has really come clear from today's discussion is that um, we need all hands on deck. We need a really wide range of different solutions and access, affordable access to homeownership is one of those. Social rental is one of them. Using private, uh, mobilizing private stock is another. Social yeah. rental agencies. We really need all hands on deck. Yeah. And um, um, what the issue is now is that there's a huge waiting list and we need speed. So I'm just coming back to the financial sector because obviously the diversity of all those pro approaches requires very different, um, it requires individual um, project management for all of those different cases and those individuals who, as you said, require different services mm -hmm. to, to ensure that the housing um, is, in, is an inclusive one. But from the financial perspective side, I mean, at the, um, the Council of Europe Development Bank, for example, you already uh, uh, fund a lot of projects, housing projects with high social content. But of course, I think that diverse approach is really um, something that um, I think is very difficult to cater for at a macro level. Mm. But is there, is, do we really need more aggregators who can handle that diverse approach? So then that would make easier this, um, this middleman or this broker, as you referred to yeah. earlier on. Is that, let's say, a gap that you see uh, coming from the financial sector? Personally, mm -hmm. uh, um, mm -hmm. absolutely. I mean, when um, at being a f uh, so, uh, my background, we, we were the largest, one of the largest funders in the UK, the big lottery fund, and we found that you know, money was never an issue, but we had to, we actually actually had to create intermediaries, whether that's in Scotland, Wales, or, or England, and we funded those intermediaries actually, uh, but we could do uh, because we're an independent uh, funder outside of government, so we added value to government. We couldn't replace government, uh, but we had the capacity to create intermediaries because we knew that actually if we just put money into the market, the capacity on the ground wasn't there. And in the end, what happened is the funders would say, actually, this, this project's too weak. They cut the funding after two years and actually kill it without recognising that you're not going to... If a problem's occurred over 10 years or 20 years, you cannot solve it within two. And you need to build capacity, I think, at the ground level, but also at the intermediary level. And I think that when we, cr when we set up the um, social finance initiative and created the wholesale bank in England, the reason I made, I made the point mm -hmm. about interest rates was that mm -hmm. what we did was we created an, a bit of a monster, uh, unfortunately, in that the people that were running it, and I, I don't mind saying this in the context, was that all people were financiers. And so they passed on the risk to the middle, uh, a middle structure that was accessing the wholesale finance. So the interest rates became really high, or the risk management or the risk portfolio they put on the assessment of projects was higher than a lending bank on the street which was just the nonsense, which is absolute nonsense. And that's what I meant, that, you know, sometimes you need to have a different type of appetite for risk, but you also need to think about intermediaries. And I'm not sure, the size of the government that you have in Montenegro or Scotland or elsewhere, you've got the capacity to kind of do stuff which, are, which is much more interesting. Um, but the aggregator role at national level is an important one, and that's also a role for the Commission. I think, you know, if you were to think about what the European Commission might do in the next five years, uh, also as a part of its multi-annual financial framework, what role can it play to actually create some sort of intermediary? It does, does the evidence gathering, does the brokering role, or uh, any such thing? So we'll wait and see uh, on that. I'm going to bring in Branislava.
because um, you, 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 know, you, you deal uh, with a centre with the most vulnerable groups. You heard, I mean, some of the quotes from the citizens of Europe, um, uh, which I'm sure are reflected in your experience. Say a little bit about your approach to this issue, in particular the most vulnerable groups. Uh, I will start with uh, some statistic data just to illustrate the situation in Serbia and our approach. Uh, last uh, recent uh, World Bank report has released that there is a threat of rising inequalities in Serbia. Uh, and that the survey has shown that the most poor in Serbia do not have the benefit of the economic growth so far. Uh, at the same time, the poverty level is increasing, especially for youth and children and over half a million of Serbian citizens, meaning 7.3% uh, of population is poor and cannot satisfy the basic needs. Additional big share of population is in the risk of poverty, and all this is coupled with high unemployment, especially unemployment of youth, uh, insecurity of work, uh, and stagnation of the development of social services. When you hear all these data, it become clear that uh, uh, what was uh, uh, transmitted through Feanza's statement about the EU uh, decision uh, or um, highlighting that the importance of social housing and the investment is inadequate in social housing in Europe countries is essential, this is the same in Serbia. So we need social and affordable housing. But on the, when you look at the situation in housing sector, situation is a bit paradoxical. So we have uh, big needs, unmet needs, especially for mo most vulnerable groups. And we are the country of homeowners where less than 2% uh, are in the public ownership. After the massive privatization of housing stock in late 90s, uh, whole housing stock was sold to the sitting tenants mm -hmm. and less than 2% remained in public property, leaving uh, the people to resolve the housing situation on the open, on ma open market. Now it become clear that it is not possible. Uh, laws in Serbia are changing every few years. Uh, our last law, newest law on social on, on housing almost erased the world social housing. So we do not have this term anymore. We have the term of housing support without uh, precising any responsibility of the country or local communities to finance the housing programs. Provision of housing is left to international financing institutions uh, and international donor community, primi primarily EU funds, pre-accession funds for the most vulnerable. So the most vulnerable, vulnerable part of population uh, is covered but, but, but very by very limited EU funds, and uh, the remaining uh, more vital part of population is directed towards uh, small private banks. Uh, now there are many very favorable credits for private arrangements, and those who have a kind of uh, stable work, they go to the bank and take credits. So uh, we do not have systematic approach to this uh, situation. We do not have strategy yet. Uh, we are awaiting new strategy to be adopted. Uh, and of course, in such a situation, those who suffer the most are the most vulnerable mm. groups. Uh, at the same time, uh, Serbia was a polygon for ex 
experiencing for uh, uh, many different uh, housing solutions. Uh, since in late 90s, it became the host to about 800,000 of refugees mm. and internally displaced people who stayed in Serbia. This, is, uh, this figure is about over 10% of Serbian population. And from uh, refugee crisis in late 90s, in beginning of this century, we faced the housing crisis. And we are still uh, trying to resolve this housing crisis with the support of, again, international donor organization okay. and international mm -hmm. financing institution council of europe is still financing uh, regional housing programs for refugees uh, in that process many interesting uh, housing schemes housing solutions were developed and this is a kind uh, of uh, basis for further research and analysis of uh, the social impact of these programs of the structure of these programs and how they responded to what they were intended to do. But the fact is that more than 15,000 of housing solutions were provided through very different uh, housing programs, uh, which were tailored to address the specific uh, groups of population. Uh, but uh, what is interesting is that uh, the situation of very poor population, or the most vulnerable population, not only very poor, is left to uh, the program of social housing and supportive environment, which is, I can say, the very similar in the concept with the uh, housing first model, where the, the principles of uh, the concept or the, of the model are the same. Uh, the most vulnerable are not given only housing. They are uh, given trainings and social support and work of the different uh, support of the different level of the community and that gives a result that really gives a result uh, actually uh, this program is making big social impact and uh, in economical way it is also very very effective since those people who were subject to uh, cri criminal penalties who lived uh, in uh, inadequate conditions and their health was very ruined uh, now they have conditions or uh, situation that they can uh, be active members of the community and they do not cost uh, uh, society so much as they did before. So there are green shoots, basically, what you're saying, despite this kind of little bit of chaos at the kind of national level in terms of lack of strategy and the fact that, you know, there is a bit of a crisis taking, but you've got access to funding that's enabling good ideas to flourish that takes on board a much more broader perspective to housing, not just simply providing a house to the most vulnerable groups. Mm, of course, yes. Yes, there are, uh, um, but uh, I have, have to say this funding is very limited. Yeah. And uh, the needs are higher than, uh, than existing capacities. And do you have any hope that, you know, because this funding obviously it will always be, sh th that money that comes from the outside world, outside the country, will always be time limited to a certain extent. <laughs> But you're saying that the political context that you're living in at the moment doesn't seem to be thinking about how do you underpin that into the next 10 years. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes. Uh, our uh, uh, new loans housing was adopted this year. Uh -huh. uh, still, strategy is not uh, developed, so we are waiting strategy to be released. We do not have functional housing system, and uh, actually we will see how it will be uh, resolved on the longer scale. 
Okay. Well, let's hope some of the ideas around this table we can pull together and send to your government and say, you know, here's, yeah, here's, here's some you. ideas for thinking it through without being patronising about the situation at all. But, you know, that's the point of the platform is that actually how do you help governments think about this issue in a more, in a more kind of uh, robust, long-term way with some uh, actual practical solutions? Um, can, I, can I move on? Have you got anything further to say? Can I? Um, no, I, that is uh, actually what I plan to say. Thank you. Uh, just to emphasize the social impact of these uh, programs, yes. uh, which is very high, and uh, the we, we should be focused maybe on social impact to sure. analyze more, mm. to quantify the impact, and use these analyses for the negotiations with the government. Indeed, and, and that's what I mean. Awareness rising. Yeah. Because that's course. what I mean. One of the things that you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see who's done some some economic impact assessment of homelessness and housing crisis per se. Because it's the point that you were making that actually uh, the, the cost of housing benefit in the UK far outweighs other dimensions. But also the long term impact on a community and potential crime, mental health services, etc. Mm -hmm. is huge. But no one costs that to see actually the cost to society if you don't get the housing and the place making right it can be such a huge tail-end effect that we don't actually think through. And someone ought to be doing more research on the long-term economic impact of, yeah, of some I of these issues. Yeah, I think it's everywhere the same. So Absolutely. I don't yeah. think it's, a, it's something that's unique to one place. It should be across Europe in terms of thinking this through. Um, can I bring you, Stefan, in to share a little bit of your experience? Is it... You sure. <laughs> Uh, thank you for the word and thank you for inviting me. I, I, I think the reason why we were invited uh, was that we were recently awarded the Fianza Prize together uh, with Glasgow and Helsinki. Um, uh, the Brno Rapid Rehousing Project uh, was was uh, elected to be the um, uh, best project financed from EU for ending homelessness. Um, and. Uh, I, I, um, the, the, the question to me was, uh, how can EU money help in ending family homelessness in my country? And uh, I think it could help greatly, but we know what to do. Uh, but I'm actually worried that both national authorities and EU uh, are not flexible enough to do the job. And one part of the problem is that uh, there is still uh, prevailing ideology which is not based on data and uh, on evidence uh, that we need to fix people uh, and uh, the evidence says that we need to house people and then their social integration and recovery uh, comes and uh, uh, so to our small uh, problem in my country we have 13,000 homeless families in in the Republic and uh, uh, we were looking for a solution to their homelessness. Uh, so we designed a pilot. It's an experimental study um, uh, with random assignment and the control group. And uh, the site of the pilot is Brno, which is a city of 400,000 inhabitants. Am I? Yeah. Um, the city has 29,000 municipal flats. And... Uh, so first we made a census of the homeless families in the city uh, last year in April, and then we made a lottery and assigned 50 municipal flats and flexible support to 50 of the families and uh, had a lottery for a control group of 100 families. There was the move-in, 
between September 2016 and May 2017. And uh, what I do is that together with my team, I survey the families at baseline after six months and after 12 months of moving in. And uh, what we expect from the project, from the 50 families that were housed in municipal housing stock, they were housed directly from homelessness without any intermediate steps, is that uh, we expect the housing retention rate, they will keep the housing after one year at 80% of them. Um, we hope that the school attendance of children will improve, the families uh, will reunify because a lot of the children are in institutional care or the partners cannot live together. And uh, we also um, hope that uh, their stability of their financial situation will improve. And uh, we have an agreement with the mayor of Brno uh, that if the project is successful and the RCT will end next summer, uh, that uh, he would like to scale up and family homelessness in Brno. Uh, meaning there are 370 remaining families and uh, if we make the deal, it would mean from April 2019 to the end of 2020, we need to house 18 families per month and uh, provide them with service. So in terms of a solution or a transferability of what you're doing, what are the, so if you just cut to, what are the key components that you think are transferable elsewhere in the model you're using? Because you say you're moving people directly from homelessness into housing. You're putting wraparound support are you, providing wraparound, are you providing support for these families? Yes, case management. So each, each family has case management? Yeah, it's in terms like of the caseload is about uh, 12 uh, families uh, per one case manager. Uh -huh. um, some families need more, some families need less. Sure, sure. And uh, so we already have first results uh, that after one year, um, of um, the, the lease with the city needs to get renewed uh -huh. uh, and the family needs to have uh, zero debt and uh, um, also like not, no major uh, nuisance. Um, so as for today, 30 uh, families uh, were able to renew the debt, uh, the, the lease without uh, any problem. 30 out of how many? 30 out of 31 actually, who have been okay. housed for one year already. And uh, um, we didn't milk, it was random assignment, so it, it, it was really uh, that, um, uh, that all very, very high needs families. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and who paid for the case management? Sorry? Who pays for the case management work? Uh, so you get money, for, you get the housing so stock, you get the families yeah. in there, but that costs a lot of money sometimes, the case management, to do the support round of families. Who pays no, for that? No. Uh, so for one family, uh, it costs 2,000 euro per year, actually, uh, the case management. And uh, when we think about like scaling up, uh, and that, that was actually going to be my conclusion, yeah. so the investment yeah. is very small. There are 6,000 families on hostels in my country. Uh, the government says in their strategy they want to uh, move them to housing, but uh, they don't know how and they are worried to invest in it. And uh, it's really 6,000 times 2,000 euro or 3,000 euro. Mm -hmm. And you can move uh, the families. Uh, you will, what I can see uh, from, from our results now, um, you will have at least the 80% uh, housing retention rate. 
and uh, once the family mm. has been living uh, in the flat for one year, uh, uh, there's actually very uh, good probability that they will keep the housing because they, they get the normal housing allowance and okay. uh, and um, like of course there might be crisis but still uh, you you want them to keep uh, in some contact with the case manager um, have their number if anything uh, happens but uh, <coughs> most of the families uh, just really need only are you doing are you doing that kind of economic in, uh, impact assessment of your activity are you doing that too because I mean when you describe what the numbers yes yes it's kind of like cost obvious. benefit yeah so 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 we are doing it uh, also on the control group uh, I don't have results yet but sure. uh, we saw that uh, about 10 children who would either be institutionalized or who were able to came, uh, come from children home. Mm -hmm. uh, so 10 children uh, in the 50 families uh, already kept housed. And uh, the cost of <coughs> institutional care, uh, not mentioning other uh, secondary uh, uh, cost is, is uh, tremendous. Sure. So but your kind of your case management costs sounds sound very, very, very competitive. I mean, uh, very good to say it's you know, just 2,000 euros is, is amazing. Well, they don't have good salary, uh, but um, <laughs> it's no. I, I, I didn't want to go I, there. I mean, yeah, this is exactly. yeah, yeah. that is the salary of uh, of social Shh. services in my country. Sure. And sure. Uh, so, um, just to sum up, um, actually, I don't uh, see a um, lot of uh, possibilities from uh, the existing EU sources uh, to support uh, such an initiative. Uh, and uh, we have social housing uh, investments uh, from ERDF. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work uh, for because of the, the inflexibility. Poor. Sorry, is it because of the inflexibility that you referred to earlier? Yes, yes, uh, totally. Yeah. And uh, so yes, it's, it's, it's surprising given what you've described. It sounds like a you know a, a very good ready-made pattern. Uh, for, for solving some of this problem, if you could be agile and get it done and have the cost that you do. Uh, yeah. it, seems, it seems balmy that you couldn't access funding um, from the EU and others for something like that. Uh, yeah, I think um, what is happening that uh, there is very rigid system sure, uh, sure. and uh, um, the government thinks that they can use the money to build affordable housing stock but then the money gets totally dissolved and yeah. uh, the impact is zero. Yeah. So um, I, I think uh, it could be really added value of EU funds uh, mm. to end family homelessness uh, in, in Czech Republic. If you have ideas how to do it, come to me. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. A yes. couple of hands up. I'm going to bring people in. Is it on the same related point, Monica? Yes, I think we are doing directly okay. related. Thank you. Say who you are. I'm uh, for the European Commission for DG Employment. And in fact, your project has been supported so far from the ESF, from the European Social Fund, mm. not the ERDF. And I think, you know, it is also not only a housing project, but also it is also a, what we call deinstitutionalization project, mm. which is also another major initiative that we are supporting. Eh? So, and in fact, our role as ESF is to upscale good projects that could be developed. So I don't think that there will, is no future. 
If I may, yeah, we are grateful for all finance the project is receiving. And th thank so this you, is not, thank you this so is much. not about that. This is about I'm sitting in the monitoring committee of the Integrated Regional Operational Program, and it just doesn't work. Uh, and the money was wasted for. Uh, and I, I mean, okay. the, the the problem. And I, I yeah. And I I want to address the problem. Yeah. Uh, because uh, we were able to do the project because we got 50 flats from the city of Brno. But these 50 flats should have been provided by the uh, EU ERDF investment money. Uh, and uh, there, there could be 5,000 flats for those families uh, provided by the ERDF money in my country. And it just doesn't work. Okay, fine. Molly, can I, I'm sorry, you want to come in very briefly? And um, yourself, I'll bring you. Uh, uh, David van, van Voren, uh, King Baudouin Foundation. I would like to support the statement which uh, was made by, by the precedent uh, uh, speaker. Um, I was triggered by the, the theme of this conference, supporting innovative housing solutions. Uh, in Belgium, most innovative housing solutions do not come from governments, neither local, regional or national, but come from grassroots organizations and NGOs. Um, they often have many difficulties to get government funding, so they end up solicitating uh, at uh, private foundations, philanthropic foundations, uh, such as uh, the, the King Baudouin Foundations. So uh, in Belgium, for instance, we supported the first social rental agencies, uh, Housing First Initiative, Community Land Trust, but all of these initiatives weren't supported by uh, authorities or governments in their startup phase. I think uh, one of the main objectives of this forum, uh, from my point of view, must be how to get these NGOs and grassroots organizations uh, get in touch with what was called the, I, I wrote it down somewhere, the, the big shot money, or I, I don't know uh, what was the central theme. But I think that is one of the main uh, objectives of, or obstacles which are confronted uh, which, with which uh, NGOs and grassroots organizations are confronted. We can support them very modestly with grant funding, but the next step, sometimes they get funding by the government, but uh, it would be interesting also for them to have access to uh, European funding uh, without uh, very uh, difficult procedures, etc. And I sure, think you don't see that, that as part of, you, you wouldn't think of trialing a model that actually takes, let's say, 10 of these and say, actually, we'll build your capacity to access this money and we'll follow you down that journey. You don't see that as a role of the foundation at all? It is a role that the foundation uh, isn't uh, doing right now. It can be a possibility. No, no, I know a foundation that do that. Actually, yeah. say, yes, we've been funding forever, but actually the problem doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. And actually, how do you pull the uh, groups yeah. together and say, actually, you put a layer of money around them that provides them support mm -hmm. over five years to build their capacity, access other funding, yeah. and then you kind of move away. But, you but know. That is a solution at, at mid-long term, but sure. I think in, in the short term, most many of these NGOs and grassroots organizations would uh, benefit uh, in important matters from, from uh, okay. existing funding, and they don't have access or limited <laughs> access to those kind of fundings. Okay, thank you. Gentleman here. Uh, I'm Mike Allen. I'm from Focus Ireland in Ireland. Yes. Um, to ask Stefan a question, very interesting project. It's very similar to a project we run in Ireland. Mm. We started off a number of years ago as a social impact bond. At that stage, there were about 140 families only who were homeless in Dublin. That was the total number of homeless families. Some of them have been homeless for seven or eight years. And the idea was to use the social impact bond to move them out of the accommodation they were in 
close down those shelters, then that would save the money. But unfortunately, what happened is those families all now are moved on successfully, mm. but 1,500 well, other families have moved in, so we've got this much, much larger problem of homelessness. So to some extent, like, like, so we now move 300 families, our team, mm -hmm. using case management, use 300 families per year out of homelessness, either into, social, into public housing mm. or into subsidized private sector housing. Um, and, they, and they stay there, they, they sustain their, their uh, tenancies. But over 300 families <coughs> become homeless, 90 families become homeless every month. So, um, you, so you, to, to look at this as a funding model, you can't save any money when the problem is keeping on regenerating itself. Because it only and saves so money over a period of time, doesn't it? It doesn't yeah, do it so actually over the long term, yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah, you can't close anything down no. because new people move in. To some extent, then, the question I was asking, thinking with Stefan, though, is why did the, the... So the families in Ireland are becoming homeless primarily because of... Uh, for economic reasons. There aren't enough houses. They're being forced out of the market by other people overbidding them. Uh, so it's relatively easy to get them back in. You just buy them, you subsidize them back in in one way or another, but more people fall out. So in, but presumably in the Czech example, the, re the reason that the families became homeless in the first place is because of social reasons rather than economic reasons, I'm assuming. And, wh and where did you get the housing from and why weren't they going into the housing anyway? Like why does it need your intervention if there is housing available for the families to move out? I don't really understand the dynamic. Could you give a kind yeah, of very yeah. short answer to that question? Like the, there are many drivers, so some, uh, some families uh, or, or some mothers are bor born into homelessness. Um, uh, some, uh, s some families split, uh, some, and, and, and so on. Like all, all bunch of different factors, that is a big issue. Uh, the biggest barriers uh, is uh, deposit money uh, for private landlords and discrimination, uh, which nice. is huge. Uh, and uh, you can, like, th there are two cases that uh, took it to the court, and uh, if they win it, uh, they will get 400 euro from the landlord, but they won't get the housing. <laughs> so it doesn't make sense to, to sue. Um, and uh, when you talk about the dynamics of the system, um, uh, we also want to look at the families who self-resolve, uh, because we have seen families self-resolving, uh, and we don't think uh, we will be able to find out their pattern, but we want, like when we design the, the local system, we, uh, we need to count with that, or we want to uh, s support uh, self-resolve. And uh, yeah, I, I don't say that the uh, solution is keep rehousing people and rehousing people. Uh, but the current situation in my country is that there is so many people in temporary hotels, so many families in, in shelters. It's a huge obstacle also to the government policy for social housing, because when you start speak about social housing, Everybody, um, like all the local authorities, start thinking about Roma and uh, uh, sure. Roma who lived in, uh, live in hostels. So I think like, if we are able to move this big stone, then we can, uh, we can really start to uh, so a very mm, different dynamic. control the dynamics very of the local, local systems. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen there, you want to come in. But again, very briefly, if you may. Sure. I just wanted to pick up uh, one of the first points on uh, learning and uh, the responsibility. Say who you are as well. I, 
good point. I'm Louis Dijkstra. I'm the uh, I'm from the DG for Regional Urban Policy, well, manages ERDF, as was pointed out, um, and I'm the head of the economic analysis sector, so responsible for a lot of <coughs> analysis. Uh, and I wanted to pick up the idea of learning, um, mm. and I wanted to advertise the opportunity that Urbact offers. You can start up a city network with also national organization and learn more about how to provide housing, how to provide also affordable housing. Um, also wanted to mention that we've asked the OECD, um, funded a project with them to look specifically at the question of housing and the cost of housing, and so I think that's an important one. Last point, uh, ESPON, another of our research program, has done a study on spatial planning uh, systems in Europe, and I think that's also particularly important for uh, the urban planning point that you've got on the agenda here. Mm. because. I agree that uh, the market will not necessarily provide sufficient affordable housing, but in places where there's a clear evidence of undersupply, trying to tack the affordability of housing without increasing the supply of housing is utterly delusional. So I really think the urban planning part is extremely important in some places it's in Europe. It's absolutely, yeah. But not all. No, no absolutely. But, but whilst you've got the, the mic, are you doing something? Because uh, we know, so governments historically have said, you know, housing really just go to the forces of supply and demand and actually you don't need minimum you need minimum intervention and you've had variations of that across Europe and the world are you looking at the economic impact assessment of housing per se on individuals communities and the broader economy so you've you've identified two or three things that you which are, but are quite separated are you pulling it together Last year we came out with a, a, a report on cities, the State of European Cities report, and there we really highlighted you know, the issues of overcrowding, the issues of affordability, and also people's perception of the difficulty of finding housing. And I think the, the problem is very different in different places, sure. but if you have you know, a growing uh, urban area with a constrained supply, you're going to have massive problems in terms of uh, affordability of housing in general. Okay, perhaps we'll come to this in a second. What I'm really referring to is that when we, when we invested in a social impact bond in the UK, when we did the first one uh, in the world of uh, Peterborough Prison. So what I got people to do was do an analysis of the cost of a prisoner in prison, out of prison for a year, and what the long-term impact on benefits, unemployment, etc. So we had a unit cost that if we stopped that person going back into prison after one year, the cost, the benefit was this. Therefore, we generated private sector investors into the bond as a result. And it's that kind of analysis that you need if you're going to get social impact bonds to be delivered on the housing sector. And someone needs to provide that evidence or create a conglomerate that can actually bring that evidence together. So um, I'm going to move to Finland. Where are you? Because you apparently, you know, seen as being, um, you know, this really shining example of good practice. Okay. Why? Thank Is you it for this. Fins? Thank you for this yeah. invitation. I, I think that you may have heard that we have had some success in reducing homelessness. Mm. Actually, in recent years, there has been a steady decrease in homelessness, and especially with long-term homelessness. <laughs> and I think that the most striking result has been that we don't have street homelessness. It's a functional zero. So when you walk in the streets of Helsinki, it's a unique European metropole. You, you don't see people sleeping on the streets. Uh, you may have heard that this is because of Housing First, which we adopted in, in our own peculiar way in 2008 as a national policy mm. in Finland. Uh, that's only half of the truth. I can now reveal to you the, the secret of the rest. And it's called affordable social housing. <laughs> uh, when you when you look at the statistics, uh, in eight years we have given uh, 3,500 flats for 
long-term homeless people, and 80% of them has been from social housing. And when you look at the longer history of homelessness in Finland since uh, 1980s, there has been a dramatic uh, decrease, and it has been mostly because of the uh, providing affordable social housing, because before 2008 we didn't have housing first, first in Finland. Uh, so I think that social housing is, is really the issue, affordable social housing. We have a affordable social housing stock that now that is 12% of the total housing stock, and we are now making some lobbying to raise the level of social affordable social housing in new housing areas from, from 20% to 30% to keep the level of affordable social housing sufficient. Uh, last Monday, I had a discussion with our Minister of Treasure, and I said to him that, can there be any more, any cheaper way for state economy to have affordable housing than, than the Finnish system of social housing, where, where you get 9,000 affordable social housing flats simply by promises, I mean the state guarantees, because the current interest rate is so low that there's no state subsidies actually in included in the social housing stock. Uh, what we have done, I, I'm not speaking about the support and everything is explained in a book we have written in English and I have three copies of it here. So <laughs> those who we'll are quick can, we'll have a can get it. And you can, you can have it downloaded from our web page also. But I would only like to make three points uh, which I think are important. First of all, uh, if you want to in end homelessness, I think that if you have 100 homeless people, you need to have at least 200 affordable flats, at least, maybe even more, because there's fluctuation in and out of homelessness, mm. whatever prevention program you have. So that's something that, that, that we have learned. It's almost like a risk buffer that yes. you're going to have. Yes, a yeah. buffer, yes. Yeah. And then the other thing is that you, you need to make a radical intervention in the existing system for homelessness services. And for us, that, m that meant that we closed shelters and hostels and renovated and reopened some of them as supported housing units. And I think that this is extremely important because you can use the money you use for shelters and hostels in a more, more wise and, and more sustainable way by providing permanent housing. That's, that's the key And issue. was that how you, how you kind of managed the, the public reaction? to that actually because when you uh, if you try to do that publicly people you can imagine there's a whole storm saying actually how can you close the shelters down etc well uh, a very good example is the last big shelter we had in Helsinki run by Salvation Army 250 bed places it, it was renovated into a supported housing unit where you have 80 independent apartments okay. and wraparound support provided by on-site personnel so it was a big change also for the environment of, of, the, of this area. Okay, okay, sure. Yes. Um, and the, the last third thing is that uh, I think that uh, there has been a time when long-term planning, long-term plans were ridiculed as a kind of Soviet-style fairy tales, but I think that there's a time for a rehabilitation of, of long-term plans because uh, uh, People who work in the housing sector know that this is a big chip that change, turns very slowly. So you can't correct uh, mistakes and neglects of several years in one year, Absolutely. as, as most 
politicians think that's possible, yeah. but it's not possible. So you need to have a long-term plan for, for affordable social housing. And finally, I have been involved more or less in this sector from, from the 80s, and there's one thing at, that I have learned. I have, I have heard a lot of uh, wonderful speeches and declarations, both spoken and written, but what I have learned is that the only thing that really changes things for homeless persons in, at the end of the day is action, and that's urgently needed now. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to eat into your lunch break, if you don't mind, because I'm running slightly over, because this is really, really important, interesting stuff, and we can always chat over lunch. But let me do forgive me if I do, because I want to bring in two more contributions and, and have a little opportunity for a chat. But I want to go to cities. You're a city, Zagata. Um, and I think if you, because I'm sorry, you're, you're wider than me. Um, so a lot has been said so far about uh, decreasing access to affordable housing, house, housing affordability in general, so I wouldn't like to uh, repeat that. Um, what I would like to stress is indeed increasing construction prices and scarcity of land as uh, that pose a challenge for greenfield investment in affordable housing. And obviously quality of housing stock in urban areas can be very problematic in terms of energy efficiency and other issues as well, which adds that... It's not across cities per se, because we cannot speak for each and every single cities, but, but sure. indeed uh, it comes across as an apparent issue in major European destinations. Um, and uh, this adds up to um, inactive uh, housing stock. I brought to you some um, kind of striking examples of what's happening in some European cities. With regard to, for instance, access to affordable rental housing in uh, big metropolitan areas, such as the city of London, whereby they have a problem of quantity of housing, low quality of private rental, and low security of tenure. So what they report is that they need 50,000 new homes each year for approximately next 20 years in order to meet demand for housing. 30% of private rental housing in London is considered as non-decent in comparison, for instance, to 18% in owner-occupied housing. And um, London has one of the least regulated markets in Europe in comparison to, to let's say, um, countries such as France, uh, Germany, and the USA. So these are the most striking examples. Um, why it's important to invest in affordable housing and social housing, I have some interesting numbers here as well. Um, in terms of um, beyond social gains that we already kind of touched upon, some economic gains, there is a research done by Center for Economics and Business um, Research in the United Kingdom that estimates that every pound investment in affordable housing brings a further 1.42 in the wider economy. So it's a, it generates income for the wider economy. And at the same time, if more people are able to rent in social housing at lower rents, the fewer people will have to move into private sector where the rents are higher. And this is where economic benefit in forms of saving occurs. And obviously in terms of housing first, we do have some evidence that, especially in the medium to long run, providing services in integrated manner is obviously more um, efficient than uh, than providing uh, services um, on individual or ad hoc basis. So what the cities are doing, obviously um, 
they respond <coughs> in various ways to the challenges, sure. right? Um, I would like to bring up a couple of examples. They tie land management uh, with affordable housing objectives in policy and practice. And recently we ran a um, workshop uh, with the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe on that. And uh, we see that the cities see the synergies between the two subjects and then um, they use spatial planning tools, master planning, uh, zoning plans, urban development agreements, planning obligations in order to tie the two subjects and be able to deliver affordable housing through spatial planning. Um, they can be um, successful in applying for European funds uh, for large-scale investment in rental affordable housing, such as the city of Poznań is uh, going to uh, deliver 1,100 flats over four years, which includes rental, affordable rental housing, which addresses the, the big issue around um, affordable rental housing. And this is what I would like to stress. Um, there are cities that uh, implement kind of radical measures to respond to very critical situations. Um, that was, as I mentioned, the city of London. They have a plan, the mayor now has a plan to improve standards for private renters in improving affordability and security for private renters because it has been acknowledged also at the political level that the situation is fairly critical. Um, in the end, um, with regard to short-term short rentals, um, issues that becomes quite apparent in Europe, the city of Paris is uh, taking a lead on it and being quite brave and bold in addressing uh, the, the massive increase of uh, touristic short-term lets in Paris. And they estimate that, for instance, Airbnb um, has approximately 50,000 flats in, in the city of Paris, which is quite a lot. So they, on the one side, appreciate direct and indirect benefits relating to house, uh, relating to uh, impact of tourism, but at the same time, they impose more control measures in order to be able to embrace these negative dynamics, such as uh, tax avoidance or um, moving out from the city of permanent, um, permanent uh, residences of Paris or increasing prices and loans in the city of Paris, increasing noise and appropriate use of homes. So um, cities do act in various ways. Some of them are more, let's say, well-established in terms of uh, providing affordable housing, such as the city of Vienna. The other ones are acting more at ad hoc, emerging critical issues. But the theme running through what you're saying really is politics matters at the end of the day, even at a local level in terms of, I mean, that's kind of, that's a, it's a no-brainer, I suppose, that's that, that absolutely the case. But what <laughs> is especially uh, visible in the case of the city of Vienna is the long-lasting political support yeah. and the long tradition in provision of affordable housing, which allowed them to, let's say, um, buffer some of the negative impacts of the crisis. Absolutely, thank you. Monica. Can I bring you in? You, you know, you, you wrote one of the articles with Samir, because, uh, you know, on our website, Friends of Europe, we, we hosted a number of uh, articles from different parts of Europe to look at different practices uh, and showcase uh, efforts being made in different parts of, uh, of Europe. And in your article, you said, it's not only policies that should be coordinated, but financing solutions too. <laughs> Thanks very much. I, w I um, actually wanted to make also two other points. Okay. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, I think we have we have heard how the um, you know providing affordable housing uh, is uh, an urgency to address, but also there are it, you know an heterogeneity of needs and national context that we need to 
take into account when thinking of solutions. But just, I wanted to mention four points on kind of common markers that I think, you know, we have seen to announce the results. The first one is that has been hinted uh, um, by other intervention. The first one is that looking at housing policy as a lever to, to achieving inclusive growth, that means that we, we need to have an integration of this policy with uh, other policies, and especially when we think about urban development. So the, the idea that we uh, look at the sector without looking at the consideration of education opportunities or access to jobs or transport, et cetera, and to have an integration of policies. That's the first consideration. The, the second one is um, that that means also to have a focus on the specific uh, or a target, if you want, on the specific populations you want to uh, reach. Because we have seen different examples, and I think uh, that to keep a clear target on vulnerable populations helps also to bring results in you know, terms of um, integration, social integration in a city. The second point I want to make is, in, again, that was discussed is the impact on the economy. Uh, so in a certain sense, also the uh, ability and the capacity of plan economically sustainable projects. Uh, if we don't uh, look at, and was discussed a bit in terms of the example of of uh, Montenegro versus uh, Albania, but at the same time, if we don't think about projects that are, um, that also spur the economic mobility of beneficiaries, so whoever they are, uh, and so that this, this becomes, you know, affordable solutions, also affordable for the beneficiaries in the long run. And so that goes to your question. So if we are talking about policies that should be coordinated, so integration of policies, not only housing, but rest, um, and the entire economic mobility of people, also the finan financing solutions to, should be uh, coordinated. We, we have heard, you know, and I very much agree with, with the example of Barcelona that, you know, we try to, uh, because the solutions are different and because the target populations are different, we also have different uh, source of funding and we try to pull them together as at its best. And I think, that, but the financial instruments, uh, I mean, what we can do in terms of the uh, supply of financial instruments is also to adapt these instruments to the, the reality on the ground. And so just to give some examples, <clears throat> we now, every time we have projects on housing, as I said, the idea is to see whether, you know, this project coming, if it comes from a local authority, whether, you know, what are the other sectors that also are in need that can complement projects on, on social and affordable housing in a way that then can generate uh, better social value. Uh, the bank has, uh, has um, issued a, a social bond, mm -hmm. uh, <coughs> which is not exactly social impact bond, it's a social inclusion bond, but okay. again, with the idea of earmark the results, the revenues to uh, only to few sectors, one of which is affordable housing, recognizing, so having new instruments that can help. And final point that has been already said, but just need to restress, no, it's not just about money, but also the capacity of having the luxury to want of experimenting and learning from, uh, from what we are experimenting. So um, the, 
um, the importance of uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, cost-benefit analysis, impact analysis, but I think even more, you know, to have an ex-ante evaluation of the projects and then to have a monitoring of these projects and mm -hmm. learn from what, what the, you know, what's happening on the ground and also adjust uh, uh, projects to, to meet results. And then, of course, the capacity of then uh, providing, a, you know, uh, ex-post evaluation uh, sure, sure, we have sure. done, especially in, in the housing sector, my okay. colleagues can talk about that, mm -hmm. but, um, but it's a, it's a, I think it's a, also a combination of means, um, you know, uh, Louis Dijkstrom said, you know, one thing is to look at the cost of housing, so to have a very macro approach, which is very important, to look at what are the instruments in terms of, uh, you know, the tenure, what this implies in different national contexts. These, these are very important aspects that, you know, institutions such as uh, the EU, the OECD can, can provide. And then you have more uh, essentially uh, uh, important also to have um, the, the learning uh, from the projects and, uh, and the monitoring and the learning sure. from the projects, such as the example from the from uh, the Czech Republic, the fact that you know, uh, since the beginning you have put also what, what was the base, baseline, what was the you know the target, what were the objectives, and this is this okay. is of course essential. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, so when you go into an area, you say you take a bid from a municipality. Do you actually would you actually fund the support system around as well? So you say you, you that's what you do as well. So not just access to the the, the finance, but actually the capacity around the problem as well. I mean, in, in two sense, can be investment in other sectors, let's say. Mm. So what we call a cross-sectoral loan, where, you know, it's a housing, but it's also, I don't know, access to education or, or right, other okay, infrastructure, etc. Or can be instead the service around, so technical assistance in, uh, in you know, shaping the program or instead in uh, improving the capacity of implementing the program or or uh, reaching some beneficiaries. So it can be also technical assistance uh, uh, towards the implementation of the program. Great, thank you colleagues. I think I'm going to conclude now for lunch um, uh, as we are run out of time. Um, it is interesting that actually that there are some basics that need attention here um, around whether it's having an effective needs analysis, which is not just about today, but if you think about the demographics of Europe, in terms of the youth population that's growing over the next 10 years, government should be waking up to the fact that the problem we're experiencing right now in municipalities of accessing housing is going to go through the roof, despite the pun. But, you know, they're not going to access housing in cities. Um, we know that we need different models of finance, and we need to be able to actually do an assessment of the economic impact of housing. Absolutely, someone needs to do much more uh, in an integrated fashion. And it's really quite clear that we need to have much more risk-taking in solutions. And I'd be really interested to see the kind of the tools that you're going to be using in Barcelona, whether you're able to evaluate them, say actually this worked as an intervention versus that, uh, would be really important to aggregate that in some way. And it's also very clear that, you know, um, where do you get, where, at which point do you get to, to actually really trial a social impact bond effectively with that, with that has private sector investment in the market in this way, and what are the data needs you need actually to be able to do that effectively, amongst a whole range of um, other issues that have come up. But, you know, uh, it's been a rich conversation. I hope you found it helpful.
After lunch, we go into the very specific and practical issues about uh, financial solutions, and we have a host of uh, contributors to that, and then we can come together and think about what the kind of key takeaways and agreements are for the platform as we move ahead. So thank you all very much. Thank you, all the contributors. Thank you.